and welcome back to the Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, and my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? Happy to be back. Excited to be talking magic with you. Uh, it, I got to travel. I got to travel with Alex over the last week, which was a lot of fun. We didn't. We haven't done that in a little while. I, I don't know. Had you and I been on a trip together since the pre-pandemic? Or was it the first one? You didn't go to Gen Con. Um, I don't, I'm going to say we haven't just for the sake of brevity during a podcast recording. (laughs) I I think it had been like two and a half years and we used to travel together often and bring our magic cards and we got to play magic, which was fun. So, uh, it brings me a a sense of warmth in my heart and I'm glad we get to be here in the week after to talk about magic. Absolutely. And, uh, so hello everyone. Today we're talking about Baldur's Gate, but specifically making sure because this is a modern podcast we are uh, talking about of what our top 10 picks for cards from Baldur's Gate. Uh, not the commander products, just the the draftable limited format uh, that we would love to see brought to modern. So so we're going to go through our top 10 picks on cards there. And they're not going to be in order. It's just 10 cards that we think would be really cool if they were modern legal, uh, maybe in the next Modern Horizons or uh, just printed straight into standard somehow and uh, what that would look like. Or maybe in the Lord of the Rings set, which is going to be a Modern Horizon set uh, or a modern direct into modern set. Uh, and uh, before we get into that, really quick shout out to some of our sponsors. First, thank you uh, to Channel Fireball, uh, the, our new home. If you want to find our podcast, we are on YouTube, we're on podcast streaming sites, and we're also on channelfireball.com uh, every week. Uh, that launches normally on Wednesday. Um, and if you use the code VMMCAST, you can buy cards on the Channel Fireball store. You can either use the link below or that code at checkout, and uh, you you help us help the podcast out. It is an affiliate link. We appreciate all of that. It really, really helps us out, and it makes Channel Fireball like us, which we like because uh, that could lead to us going to command fest or other live in-person events with their help. So, so make sure to check that out and do that. And then also check out our patron. We do a whole uh, almost 20 minute to today pre-show to this episode. There's 20 minutes of bonus content right there. We talked about uh, streaming services and how episodes are released. We talked about Obi-Wan. We talked about um, all this really cool stuff and you can only get that on the Patreon. So make sure to check that out as well. And that starts at a $5 level. Uh, and then last uh, but not least, Ultra Pro, Ultra Pro sponsors. You can get these on the Ultra Pro product on Channel Fireball using our code, as we mentioned below, but also ultrapro.com. Uh, and and they sponsor the trivia question of the week, which is where we're starting. Welcome to the Ultra Pro trivia trivia minute. Uh, I'm definitely not going to do this in a minute, hopefully, because then we can put it on TikTok. <laughs> so for those who don't know the way the, the Ultra Pro Trivia game works is uh, we're going to ask a trivia question uh, right after this. And then uh, Ben is going to him and haw about if he knows the answer to that question. Uh, I am uh, going to, you know, jab them a little bit, give them some clues, maybe give some hints. uh, And then uh, you comment what your answer is below. And if you get it right, uh, you uh, we we will like your post. And if you get it wrong, you have to like this video and subscribe. And if really just you should all like and subscribe this video in general, uh, it helps the podcast out. But also, uh, please play the trivia game. Comment below with what you think the answer is. Uh, All right, Ben, are you ready? Ben, over the last few years uh, with rocks, treasures, uh, clues, food, uh, non-creature artifact tokens have become increasingly more and more popular. What was the first card and what type of token did it make to make a non-creature token? Okay, let's see. So blood was later. Clues were later. I also have the second one to do it, which I think is really cool. And I'm sad it's not the first. But what's the first? Oh, is it the... Um, first one to make a artifact non-creature token ever. Yes. There's this black card that makes a gold token that you sacrifice. That's like a, it's the earliest version of treasure, like before treasure, I think. King Maccabee or something or like. 
No. Yeah, I don't think I'll I don't think I'll get there. They're that card so, is so close. King Makar uh right? was was uh King Makar the Gold Curse was the second card to make a, an artifact token, which was gold in Journey into Nyx. Wow, so I was pretty uh, close with that one. I'll I'm gonna pat myself the, on the back there, guys. That was pretty right. good. And and the very first was in Born of the Gods, and it was the card Guild, which was exile target creature, create a gold token. I remember now. right before. I was correlating the two in my mind. I thought he created a guild token, I feel like. But mm, yeah, so Guild is the very first uh, time the appearance of non-artifact creature tokens showed up. Uh, the third time is Nahiri the Lithomancer, who made the legendary and is the first one to make a legendary uh, or not a legendary. Sorry, just a, a token artifact equipment, which has indestructible equipped creature gets plus five plus five and is double strike. That was a tough one. Zero. I gotta say, I, I, I was proud of myself for getting as close as I am a king like Maccabee Makar. Like that's not that far. But in the end. Guild was what I needed, and I do remember those cards. But uh, yeah. you know, the next the next one was Landmine, so it was it was Gold Token. There's two cards with make Gold Tokens. The next one was uh, Nahiri making an uh, equipment token, and then Goblin Kaboomist. Oh yeah, uh, made right. made Landmine token. Sacrifice this artifact for a red. It deals two damage to target a creature without flying. Yeah, that was one of the that was one of the, like the outside game designers, Stone Lebronde. I don't know what other game they made, but they uh, they they got to design this card. It was that was like one of the gimmicks from M15. Um, so today we're talking about uh, Baldur's Gate. First off, just like first thoughts on the set. I think it's I think it's interesting. I think in some ways it makes me hopeful for the Lord of the Rings set not being as influential to modern as Modern Horizons One and Modern Horizons Two were because. It feels like Wizards realizes that they get a boost to sales. You know, the you know th- this is why Zendikar had Fetchlands, and also why Zendikar had uh, the treasures included in it because it was a set that the higher ups didn't believe. Like they didn't believe that lands matter was a mechanic that would have been super sure. popular, so they added a bunch of gimmicks into it to make it exciting for new players. Uh, and for Modern Horizons 1 and 2, the argument is it's just powerful cards, right? Like, we're putting a bunch of powerful cards into the set that we know will sell packs because they're so powerful that you have to buy them. With both Lord of the Rings sets, it feel, or not both Lord of the Rings, both both uh, Dungeons & Dragons sets, it feels like Wizards is more on the, like, oh, no, the license, the license and the brand, why we got the license, why, I mean, it's their license in regards to Dungeons & Dragons, but this license is what's going to sell the product, so we don't have to put busted cards in this set we just have to make a cool draft limited format and people are going to be excited because lord because because dungeons and dragons is exciting and so people that aren't magic players are going to buy this to make up for maybe the fact that regular magic players might not buy as much of it because it's not as powerful i feel like the uh cards designed are still powerful they're just powerful in a different way they're not they're not obviously powerful in a low cmc way which is like what the whole modern horizons one and two sort of design is about I do think there are really cool cards. I'm excited to talk about the ones that we want to see in modern because I think there are some interesting ones. I feel like probably in terms of uh, stuff that would be good in modern, it's there, it's going to be a lower density here than the Horizons 1 and 2 type. But the good in magic, I think, is still very high. I think deceptively actually quite high. Like I think there are a number of cards from this set that I'm like, Oh, you guys like because because people are looking for people are looking for the like classics. They want the dock sides or they want to see a hull breacher. They want like something that's like that card. Right. I think I think kind of my point, like comparing this to Commander Legends, which had hull breacher, 
um crystal not not crystal lotus Golden whatever lotus. the lotus Gil, no. not gilded lotus jewel um jewel lotus it had um opposition agent not to mention 36 new partner commanders um like totally turned commander to an argument on its on its side now i think in a good way like i i've I would definitely be on the side that I think Commander Legends was a massive success, and I think I would like more sets like that for Commander. Um, I do think that this has less of a feel as that did to that extent. Now it does; it is offering like an insurmountable of new commanders with the background mechanic, as long with you know Artisan, which is a format that we basically kind of came up with, which is uh, uncommon and common only Commander. Um, there's a ton of new options there, which I think is really great uh, and important for that format as well. Um, so I, I think it obviously is going to be really influential, but I think kind of my point is I, I don't think it's, it, it is because the last Dungeons and Dragons set, which is wild that it's within nine months of each other was also relatively underpowered, right? Like if you look at like the response to the, the, in the forgotten realms was kind of like, Oh, this is a normal magic power level. That's fine. And I think to me, that means that the Lord of the Rings set likely will also not be as in the view of people who think modern horizons one and modern horizons two is detrimental to the format, which I'm not really sold on. But if, if that is your case, I think the Lord of the Rings set is going to be less so than those sets were because wizards can rely on the fact that every player who used to play magic, the gathering, but has always loved Lord of the Rings is going to come back for that set in droves. And, and I think that that allows them to not put the Raghavans in this set and to not put the, the, the mythic cycle of free creatures in the set. It's so interesting because I feel like the, from a marketing standpoint, what you're talking about, I know happens. I know there's a conversation of this really powerful marquee card that we want people to get excited about in preview season, then want to buy packs to open is a big part of marketing. But for me, I'm like, I I don't feel like I want those cards and sets to market. I want those cards to be in sets because that's where they think magic is right now. And that's what they think they need. Like if you're talking about a a fetch land, that's different because it's a known quantity. It's a reprint. You put a good reprint into a set. You put a good reprint into a set, right? Like we know there's a high value for those cards. You create a card like Raghavan, like that's something you thought was a good enough, cool enough idea. It should be in this set. And I, I, I well, guess- I think, I think, I don't think those two. I don't think we think this is a cool design mechanically and adds fun to the game is a separate idea from we think this card is powerful and by putting it mythic, we'll know that we'll sell packs. Yeah, well, that's the whole conversation that you and I have had before, or at least it's part of that conversation we've had before about that card is good. It's a uncommon, it's a rare, it's a mythic rare, right? It's like, that's where that whole part of it is like, if that card is really cool, we all know it's really cool and it's a mythic rare, we know that it's going to sell more packs. If that card is really great, really cool, and everyone loves it and it's an uncommon, it's going to sell, well, I guess more packs, but immediately and then peter out because well, yeah. well, like like there's a reason that rare, rare site land cycles exist right wizard has gone on the record on this right like rare, lands are rare because they are blue chip stocks by putting them at rare they can guarantee a set will have guaranteed value because you have a cycle of five cards that are going to range in value from five to ten dollars when you open them because they're going to be an important piece to building every single deck you need right. in standard Right. Like that. That's why you don't get untapped land cycles at common or uncommon, even though a lot of people would argue the game magic, the gathering from the perspective of player bases, wallets would be better if lands were not expensive. 
the opposite side of that argument is that the resources that Wizards has and is able to put towards the game design of this game wouldn't exist if they weren't making Correct. money. Correct. And and so we, we don't have to get too deep into the, the capitalism side of Magic the Gathering. But my point is, I do think that Baldur's Gate is not as pushed as Commander Legends because there was more faith in the brand associated with it to sell packs than the set needed to be able to do to stand on its own. And I think that if that's true with the Dungeons and Dragons set, that's going to be triply true for the Lord of the Rings set where like, you know, Danny who used to work with us at the office, she, the last magic card set she bought period was the, my little pony one, not because she plays magic at all, but because she likes my little pony. And when I was like, yo, they're coming out with the Lord of the Rings set. She was like, Oh dope. I'm going to buy that. She's never going to play it, <laughs> but she'll own those cards. I mean, there's a little bit of a, and I think probably this has been talked about before, but just to give you guys a little bit of background, I mean, like, so Alex and I, obviously, you know, he is the CEO of this toy company and part of our, part of our company, Kess, is that you know, I'm the VP sales is that we do games and puzzles. And uh, part of the conversation when you're talking about developing these properties is you put a tremendous amount of time in design to make the game really strong, to make your puzzle beautiful. And then there's a conversation of, is there a brand that we're a fan of that we think has a similar vibe where we could design into that vibe, right? Is there something we're coming up with that feels like it matches where we could, we could develop because you know that if you have a phenomenal game that feels like you are absolutely designing a Lord of the Rings game, then you want to talk Lord of the Rings and say, well, could this be a Lord of the Rings game? This feels like we're designing it. What do you think? And if the relationship's there, it's a win for both parties because you've given them something great and they know now there's a great game representing their product. And so there's a little bit of that, which is like when they come out with Lord of the Rings set, we know whether or not you love magic, just like you said, Alex, there will be a certain number of people that will buy that just because it says Lord of the Rings. They'll have no concept of what magic even is. This will be the first time they well, ever buy a magic product. And that, and that's an that's an extreme rate, right? Like that's I think an I think the biggest chunk is going to be a bunch of people returning to Magic or people that slowed down and playing Magic but love Lord of the Rings because there's a lot of people that those two things are true of, right? Yep. I would I would I would bet that ninety percent of mad people who used to play Magic that no longer play Magic also really like Lord of the Rings. And I would almost say that's a I I like it's not obviously it's not a hundred percent because there's going to be that one percent of people that like are weird hipsters that hate Lord of the Rings for some reason. But I'm going to say like almost a circle. <laughs> I used to describe, and, when people would be like, "What is magic?" My description for years was: imagine poker meets chess, but the theme of the game is Lord of the Rings. That's like how right, I used to right, describe exactly. it, right? And. And so it's, mind you, I think Wizards is going to put their heart into it, right? I, I think the set, that set's going to be really well designed in the same way that I think Baldur's Gate has been really well designed. I think it's a great set. I think they put some of the power into the Commander product as well. And I think that will go along with Lord of the Rings. So I think it, in general, it's going to be really fun. But I don't think, and this is kind of my main point, and then we can kind of move on unless you want to say something else, is that I don't think that this, based on how Baldur's Gate has gone and based how the last set, which was... um the 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 in the forgotten realm set went where they kind of felt like a little bit of a dip down in power level compared to like products of the same type it feels to me that likely the lord of the rings set which is going to be a modern horizons like set going directly into modern is going to be a step down in power level from modern horizons one and modern horizons two all i would say people are worried about all i would say about the uh first dungeons and dragons set was that the mechanic that stands out to me the most is roll a d20. 
and that and dungeon, right? Those are the two things that feel like they were the, that's what I think of when I think of it. I know there were others. Those are the most, those are the most uh, out of the box mechanics from that set for sure. That and like the, like every, every ability has a, a keyword. I was going to say that was the third. And you have these specific keywords. And for me as a magic player, as a lifelong magic player, my reaction to each of those was, I don't remember what these dungeons do. If I don't have them in front of me, when a card says enter the dungeon, I ignore it, which sucks. That's a bummer from a deck building perspective, but that's the truth at this point. When I go through a deck database to build like a modern commander deck, if it says enter the dungeon, I completely ignore the card. I don't really like the idea of rolling a d20 for an effect, but I'm more willing to do it. So I, I read those. I'm like, okay, I, my brain quickly understands this without having to think too hard. And my third one is every time it's an ability word that I don't recognize, there's a little bit of do I actually want to bother reading this? And that's a bummer for me. I think that the set from a design perspective is a little bit, it falls a little shorter than I wish it did for that reason, because I feel like my relationship to that set is just a little bit less. Like I think about sets from the last two or three years that maybe I didn't play as much of, but I'm a fan of. Like I like Strixhaven a lot. There are, and I didn't play that much Strixhaven, right? Like there, I, I like Kamigawa a lot. I didn't play that much of it. I feel like I have a greater and easier to understand relationship to them there was a little bit of complication just of unfamiliar concepts and keywords from the first uh, Dungeons and Dragons set combined with a low power level, right? Like knowing the result I'm going to get after having reviewed the set is nothing here is that good. There's three or four cards that matter and the rest of them are kind of like, if I do the work of reading this and thinking about how this would fit into a deck, it's probably not going to be that good. That's the problem with a lower power level. Your relationship to the set forever then becomes, yeah, I mean, this is, this is Ixalan. There's probably isn't that good i don't have to think about it you know like so that's that's where i send the original yeah there are there are like you know the lands all, all of the creature lands are really good from that set and you have you have um the den the hydro like the, black, the, the black card that makes a treasure and draws cards and yeah so there, there's definitely a few things from that set that like doesn't that have powerful? a really good black wrath thing the really incredibly good no i think that was innistrad right the the but uh massacre yeah Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's not the dungeon step. But um, yeah, so so and and I do think like what's interesting is a lot of the complaints people I think also had for that set, which was like there's like key mechanics that they didn't support from it that people thought they were going to right the party mechanic, which now is making a return with the the, this sets commander deck. You had adventures, which at the time we've even like heard in the design conversation that like the the line between adventure and and um venture into a dungeon was too thin for them at the time yeah. so they decided to not include adventures at that point now they're just like whatever we're still venturing now it now it has like an extra mechanic to it but to your point i literally on our list today i don't think i have any of the new uh venture cards any of the new dungeon cards because because take the initiative is a little confusing i don't think like like i think they've learned that monarch was a mechanic they shouldn't have put it like popper has been broken because monarch exists yep. <laughs> um like monarch does not work in 1v1 and i think venture into anything has that same problem but um i just think i do think i'm like sorry last point and we can just get into the actual review but like i think that when you're talking about magic design there's what's in front of me, what I can read on my card, what has been printed. And I'm not even talking about the abbreviated keyword text, like where you like we understand a keyword ability, so it doesn't have to be written. I'm talking about specifically what is written on the card. And if what is written on the card is simple and elegant for my mind, I'm happy. As soon as you get into a lot of text, two sides, a card or zone that's not in front of me, or even an ability from an older set that I'm supposed to understand exists without being able to read, 
the game gets more complicated, honestly. Like I play a lot of magic. I've played a lot of magic and even I feel that way. And I think that it's difficult because you need to find ways to explore magic and the design zones beyond exactly what I'm talking about, just what's on the card. But I do think threading that needle is hard to do. And I think that the more you put into what is not immediately in front of you, I think the harder the game gets to conceptualize for a casual player. I think it gets a little bit more difficult and a little bit less engaging or satisfying. Maybe. I mean, magic is its most popular it's ever been, right? And and that popularity spike has happened alongside Arena, uh, but alongside the popularity of Commander. And I would argue Commander is one of the most complicated ways you can play magic from a like understanding what's happening in a game of magic commander is so difficult compared to standard or modern even because not only do you have 100 cards that are all different that come from the entire era of magic history and making but each of your three opponents also have that and you have to pay attention to all of that happening at one time in play at a single moment um but but i will say the, the entree to new players joining magic now but that's all written on the card, right? That's that's kind of my point. Like, I think... Well, but it, I mean, you can play with the Venture card in that world, right? And it's not written on... Like, all the cards you're complaining about are legal in Commander and have become legal in Commander over the last four years. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm only speaking, obviously, from my own personal experience, but I will just say, as somebody who's built, you know, hundreds of thousands of decks, probably really realistically in my life over the years, like, my brain, when it looks at cards in a database, does the quick, the sort of that quick math of, like, do I want to take the time? And I... Maybe I'm unique in that way, but I, I don't think I am. I think some of our listeners probably relate. Oh, or I'm, I'm, is... not, I'm not disagreeing with you that there is fatigue in the, the amount of text that are on these cards. I guess my point was evidence points to that is not a big limiting factor in new players enjoying or joining the game to, gar- to start with. Yeah, I don't think there's a high density of those cards that exist. I think there's a pretty relatively low density of those cards relative oh. to the history of Magic. I think Cassive percent. The last two years, like, right, wasn't like like Kaldheim broke the record for most text in the set ever printed. And then immediately after that, Strixhaven blew that record out of the water. And then I believe the dungeon, the Forgotten Realms also had a huge word count per card. I would say that cards that reference, I would say cards that reference something that's not on the card, like a dungeon or something that you have to read that's like a separate piece, cards that are double sided or cards that are even have like in the top 10% amount of text ever make up less than 2% of magic ever, maybe even one. Like there's so many cards. There are so many mechanics. There are so many pieces that do not include those things that even though there's a high density lately, I still don't think it's affecting the game overall negatively yet. I, I, I'm saying from like my perspective, when I'm thinking about building a deck or talking about a card, there is this green versus red or sort of that you talked about blue chip, like the way I recognize a card or a set as blue chip the more of that that I have to deal with when I'm evaluating, I feel like the more of a barrier to entry it is for me. It doesn't make magic like worse for everyone. It's just something. It's like a stumbling block that I notice that I think is worth pointing out because that is largely my perception of that, that, that D&D set, right? Like that's how I feel sure. about it. Sure, sure, sure. Speaking of the D&D set, now it's time to talk about which of our top 10 cards we want to see in the modern. And we're going to start with the doozy. So the first one uh, is uh, Archivist of Agma. One and a white, halfling cleric, creature, 2-2, two, two, with flash. Whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain one life and draw a card. I saw this card when it was previewed, like the, the, the like on Twitter, and I really like this card a lot. I mean, a 2-2 two, two for two that has flash already. Um, obviously, 
in commander this is great <laughs> like it's really really good whenever an opponent so you get so much utility and value out of that like there's just so many moments every kodama's reach every fetch land every demonic tutor but honestly in modern like this card would kill this card would be so good yeah, i almost <laughs> think it's better like in commander in like every power level that's not cdh it's fine you might draw a few cards off of it a game uh, and then people like you'll for sure draw one card and then people might play around it or not care. But people don't search that much in mid tier to below power level and CDH different conversation. This card's busted in half. One of the best white cards for CDH in years in modern. I think this card would be really cool. A one reason I really like this card is I do think there needs to be in modern more ways to incentivize not playing with fetch lands that aren't miserable to play against like blood moon. Right. Like this card seems so perfect to me for modern because right now I think the format needs punishment for how greedy your mana bases can be, especially with all of the four color, you know, Omnath 70, 75 main deck card, you know, Yorion piles or uh, sorry, 80 card uh, Yorion piles. Uh, Archivist of Agma is a good argument for like, hey, your lands will be punished, but I don't have to play Blood Moon to do it. And I think that's healthier for the format and stuff like this would be healthier for modern in general. I think uh, there are two things about this card that stand out to me. You mentioned what you just said about de-incentivizing people to play fetch lands. I think it's very true. Um, the Over the years, depending on whatever version of it shows up, the red burn decks, often they're three colors because they want sideboard cards. They're often, you know, white, red or white, red, green for one reason or another, but they often do mm -hmm. play fetch lands. So this card fits nicely into that because they, they crack a fetch. You flash this in. So now they have to spend a spell to kill this, right? They, they probably will because it makes every fetch mm -hmm. land after that make their cards worse. So now you're trading this card for a lightning bolt, but it draws you a card, right? Because you're new, you're new in response to a fetch land. So it replaces itself, gains you yeah, a life, and gets a card out of their hand. Like when I remember back uh, playing any blue deck and any blue red spells deck, anything, and you would put dispels in your sideboard against uh, a lot of things, you bring them in against red right because literally just just the one-to-one -one, just a blue to counter your lightning bolt is good enough like that is a good enough effect you have a limited number of cards that is i'll go one-to-one -one against you because your velocity slows down this is so much better than that <laughs> like it yeah. doesn't respond to a fetch land so i think that's interesting the second thing though and i think the more notable thing i think i saw people on twitter talking about this if this didn't say draw a card it would just be a white card but the fact that it says draw a card is one more attempt by wizards to print white cards that can give you card advantage. I mean, obviously, the white card that makes treasures, uh, Smothering Tithe, it's a huge commander card. Uh, this like is reminiscent of that in the way that just this should become a staple in kind of almost any white deck in commander ever. Like, well, I don't know well, how it doesn't. That that was my point before, right? Like in most commander games, tutoring isn't as prevalent, right? Like it's not modern. Yes. Like for us in the power level we play at fetch lands become more standardized, whatever. Cause we're modern players that are going into commander. But if you go to most random commander tables, this card's relatively medium. It's when you get to higher power level that it, that it's really powerful. It's, it's one thing. There's a, a Chris Mooney. Uh, they are the new, like for those who don't know, there is a council of colors at, at Wizards. There is a specific employee in the design team at Wizards for each of the different colors and magic. And their job is to like defend, guard, protect and explore the ways that the color pie fits within the color that they control. Chris Mooney um, is 
uh, the person now in charge of white. And one thing that they explained in a really good, I forget if it was an article or a Twitter thread, or it definitely was also on TikTok, which they also have a TikTok, um, that they've been exploring new ways for white to draw cards and, and, and what this looks like. And, and Benny from the last set, uh, was a really good example of that, which is like, whenever you make, I think it's if a token enters play under your control, you draw a card for that turn or every turn you can draw up to one card a turn. If you do a thing is one of those effects and it has to be a white thing. So like you can draw a card a turn per life you gain, or if a creature token enters play and, but it's per turn. So if you can make it happen on your opponent's turns as well, you can draw more cards. They also added uh, you and an opponent each draw a card together, uh, but it's targeted. So it's in one V one, it's just howling mine effects, right? So yeah. it doesn't bust white at half here. But in three, the multiplayer, it's oh me and um, you draw cards, but the two other players don't. So it, it gives you card advantage over your opponents. And then the third one is this, and that is, um, and there's a, there's a fourth one which we don't have to get into because it's more like the catch all like uh, font of mana. Not uh, our Halo Fountain is an example of like a, a fourth version, which is like weird other white things that kind of make sense. But this is. Instead of tax effects like Thalia um, or yeah, punishing like effects, Arbiter. you have I get to draw a card if you break the rules. And so this is an example of that. And I think this one would be great for modern. Yeah, I think your point there is really strong. When you think about over the years, all of the mind sensors and the Leonard Arbiters, and the, the things like that, the Thalia is the... The, the, those tax effects, if we're being honest, are in 1v1 more stifling to your opponent. If you get them down early, they make it much harder for an opponent who's locked under them to play, which we can argue is actually not good for magic, but it's effective. I've played many decks against and with those cards, but from the perspective of magic is more fun if you can play more cards, magic is more fun if you can draw more cards, magic is fun if you're good early and good late. This is the version that makes that true. It is. It's yeah. it, this you yeah. you being able to not search your library for a fetch land and shut out of the game is so much worse of a game of magic from a gameplay perspective than you do the thing and I get a life and draw a card. Like I'm still getting an advantage or just both playing magic. You know, they, they have printed a Thalia at one mana that has this ability instead, right? Instead of Thalia, which is whenever your opponent casts a non-creature spell, they have to pay one mana or they can't cast it, right? They, or every non-creature spell costs one more mana. You have Esper Sentinel, which is right. whenever your opponent plays a non-creature spell, the first one each turn, they either have to pay X additional mana or you draw a card, right? So they can push these the this mechanic a lot more because instead of your opponent not doing a thing, you get to draw cards, which is really good, but is not nearly as backbreaking as no. I would say um, I would say that in general, if white was to design 75% of the hate bears like this, and then 25% or even 20% like the old Thalia model, I think we'd be in business. I think that I think that's the way to go. I think you still want some of those. I think you still want some of those restrictive ones like the Thalias. I think it's part of white. It's part of white's identity. I just think that every time you print one, it doesn't need to be they can't do this, stifles this, stops this. I think a lot of them can be this. Yeah, I think you I think you'll we'll get both. Uh, you know, how long do you think until it gets stony silence draw a card? Whenever so, like, I almost want to say yeah, it'll happen I, within the next year. I think so. I, I think this card is a is a considering they designed two years ahead of time. I think this card is a pretty strong indicator of what we can expect, even in like like the fact that the fact that things. so many people are complaining about treasures. If they printed a three mana whenever uh, an opponent activates the ability of an artifact to draw a card like. I, that's gonna. I I would be surprised if we don't see that within the next year. 
Yeah, this card, um, this card's strong. This card's a candidate for for like a Horizon style reprint for modern. It makes yeah. a lot of sense, and, and one of the best cards in the set. Uh, all right, so not as not we won't have the a twenty minute conversation about every one of these cards, and maybe we'll only do five. Uh, depending on timing, Ragadraga Gorguts Boss. Two red green legendary creature, human boar, 4 4. Each creature you control with the mana ability gets plus two, plus two. Excuse me. Whenever a creature you control with a mana ability attacks, untap it. Whenever you cast a spell, if it at least seven mana was spent to cast it, untap target creature. It gets plus seven, plus seven, and gains trample until end of turn. That last ability is cute. I think the big one here is like. If you wanted to make elves Jund elves and play with Ragadraga, I'm never going to say that correctly ever. Um, I'm going to say Bebop. <laughs> I feel like, no, no, uh, you're, you're, you're like, you're, you're definitely overcomplicating the name. Ragadraga. It's, it's Ragadraga. Okay. I think it's because it's Ragadraga Gorguts. It's a lot. It's a lot of, it's a lot of G's and R's. Like uh, you would be hyped on Ragadraga. That seems like something you would like to say. <laughs> uh, but the fact that it makes elves, you put it in an elves deck, all, all your elves become, it's a, it's a plus two plus two to all your elves forever. And then you also get to attack with those elves and then use them for mana, which is often one of the weaknesses for those decks. Cause you had to choose between, do I want to use all of these elves that make mana to play my spells or attack with them? And this lets you do both, which I think would be really cool for modern. I mean, the fact that in uh, Ponzadex, this is a turn two play, right? With the Arbor mm-hmm. Elf uh, uh, Utopia Sprawl, is it called? Utopia Sprawl? I can't think of the name right now. But uh, yeah, yeah uh, the Arbor Elf with Utopia Sprawl, the four man on turn two thing, you just cast this on turn two. So now on turn three, you've got this guy. You've got your 3-3 three, three Arbor Elf. You've got massive, massive acceleration. I mean, obviously, this is all this is in modern, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're correct that into an elves deck, this is this is phenomenal. I think this probably also, though, opens up the possibility of just more types of decks. There are so many mm-hmm. good mana creatures, right? So many good ones. And green is quite good at searching for creatures. And green plays this card called Court of Calling that allows you to tap your Never mana heard of it. <laughs> to search. Is that good? <laughs> so there are lots of ways to get this creature into play like just just the plus two plus two alone this is a four four that gives all of your one ones plus two plus two when it's in play yeah. i mean to me there's like a deck that's built around this card that doesn't even necessarily have to be elves it's just like play lots and lots of mana creatures that interact nicely with other things in your deck and have four of these and ways to get him into play and like ragadraga is just excellent so I don't think if you print this in a modern tomorrow, it's like a tier one staple. I think you still have to work too hard and just kill it. Just just pathing Ragadraga makes the deck bad unless you are playing like the elves version or something that already is good. But I think that it's such a backbreakingly large effect. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't I don't think he's also an effect that you base your deck around. Right. I don't think you're like, oh, man, I'm playing a Ragged Dragon deck. I think you're like, oh, Ragged Dragon could just be an easy quarter calling target. I can play a one of in this deck, I think, like and it just like is good every time I draw it, even if they kill it fine. And, and to your point, it doesn't have to be elves like the fact that you could do like the the um like four ignoble hierarch four noble hierarch four 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 birds of paradise vivian of the wild hunt birthing pod deck that i was so hyped on at, during during the yeah. last uh, preview season and just this is your fort one of the four drops you can pot into because like 
Sometimes you just drew the mana dork side of your deck and you have five zero ones in play. And when you play this, you know, five two threes in play that can attack and tap for mana when you after your attack step is just going to be good enough against some decks and at some moments. So I think I think it'd be a really cool addition. Um, Next card. Rug of Smothering. Three mana for an artifact creature construct, one three flying. Whenever player casts a spell, they lose one life for each spell they've cast this turn. Some some nice little anti-storm tech uh, for artifact decks. Karn can grab to, it from the sideboard. I was trying to think about this. So obviously when you're when you're talking anti-storm, obviously like Canonist is a classic option that has been in sideboards for years. Um, but it's white. So you need to be playing white for Canonist, which most good sideboard cards are white, so it's not surprising. Rug at a 1-3 three for 3. It's a little Flying. expensive. It's not really where you want to be. Uh, Storm decks over the years in the main don't play Bolt. They often have Bolt in the sideboard so that they can kill things and get rid of things. And this gets mm-hmm. bolted, which like, you know, but but it is... The, the problem with this card for me is like, what deck can play this? where this is actually going to be good and part of its strategy. I can think of like the Karn. Okay. Karn or like a hammer time type of deck, something that can hold like actually, no, no, because hammer time hammer makes the lose flying. So actually it's, and 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 when I say Karn, I mean, Karn, the great creator. I mean, like it's a wishboard target, right? You have it in your sideboard. It's one of, it's your anti-storm tech that also is like randomly going to be good against uh like the you know decks that are just trying to play a bunch of spell like prowess or whatever you know stuff that just is trying to play or or phoenix or something where it just is like fine against those decks as like a thing you can grab but um i, think my I don't issue, think it, i was gonna yeah. say I think, I think my issue with this card is that that any deck that is spell based and red that has bolt at its main deck makes this card not that good because it's just you just bolt it you kill it right away right like Sure. It's specifically good against Storm because in Storm's main deck, like if they don't see you bringing in Rug, they just might not bring in Bolt. So then, like they might just get stuck. They might they might look at this card and get totally stuck and just not have a way around it. Yeah, well, Storm and Storm has decks, right? Like Eggs and and um, Lantern and anything that's trying to play just like basically the Storm game plan you choose what version of how many cards can I cast in a turn exist. I think it like, I think, I think it's good that just could be in modern, right? Like I I think this could be in a standard set tomorrow and no one would blink. I think what's cool about it is it gives some colors like mono black an answer to storm. They currently don't have other than discard or like mono green has the ability to sideboard this in against storm when previously their options were really limited. I was going to say, I think the strongest part of this card is what you just said, which is that it's it's colorless. This, whether it's the best CMC option, it goes into any deck, Karn decks especially, but it's a thing that exists. And and, and actually, yeah, as you mentioned, could be printed into a standard set without really any any real concern. I kind of wish I had Flash. I don't know. I really know, actually, I know, obviously, I wish every card was better, but it's a rug. It's flying. I don't know. It, it could have Flash. To, to your point, I wish it was a zero four. Yeah, right, that it could dodge lightning bolt, the one main removal spell of the decks that were. T- now, and mind you, Storm doesn't really play lightning bolt all the time, so that's not as big of a deal yes. for Storm. But always a sideboard card if it's even in there. Yeah. 
All right, next card is Dynahair, Invoker Adept, one blue, red, white, four, four, human wizard, legendary creature with haste. You may activate abilities of other creatures you control as those those creatures had haste. Tap it when you next activate an ability this turn by spending four or more mana to activate it. Copy that ability. You may choose new targets for the copy. Two of the things that really jumped out at me, four, four, so dodges lightning bolt, four yep. mana, uh, three colors, uh, haste, right? So a four, four haste for four, which four mana haste creatures that beat down have classically been pretty decent. Uh, or like, you know, not that Bloodbraid Elf is currently super modern playable, but that is not a bad rate for what you're paying. And it comes with pretty relevant abilities, giving every creature you play, all those, any mana dorks you play, just haste is an effect that's really interesting, especially on a creature. Um, the other thing that's cool is because it has a activated ability itself. This is a card that Zerda can hang out in the companion zone with, and then is also encouraging you to play with creatures and spells that Zerda wants to also play with things that tap or have activated abilities that giving them a reduced cost is helpful for. Interestingly enough, it's tap ability kind of doesn't work with Zerda, but in some ways they're, they're both um, uh, uh, complementary. where like, if you want one or the other, if you have something, if you have something that has a four activated ability and you don't have Dinahar in play, you can get Zerda to make it cheaper. If you can't, if Zerda dies, or if you have Dinahar in play, don't play Zerda. Now you get to copy it, and so I think that's also a really cool kind of relationship and interaction. Anything that makes a companion that currently isn't seeing a modern more interesting also just like puts things in the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff here for sure. I, I like that it's a four four for four with haste as opposed to a four four for five. Um, obviously, Urbrass classically is a five mana four four, so that's a card that has been playable in multiple formats. It's a good card. Um, four versus five is very significant. The three colors versus the one color does matter. The tab ability on this, I was trying to think, you know, is there something that immediately really comes to mind that's just like a gangbusters ability, like just an incredible. I think the problem is that it's sort of the same training grounds conversation we've had forever, which is like, if you're going to have something that costs three to activate an ability of in your deck that is made better by it costing one, you've got to be comfortable with it costing three. And it's the yeah. same problem here of if you don't have Dyna here, you have to have something that has a CMC of four to activate the ability, which is really high. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Me, the, the thing here that really does stand out is it's a four, 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 four that gives your other creatures haste. It's a human, which classically Jeskai has been a human's deck. And it's a wizard, which the, the good creature type. There's a lot of good wizards. Like there's enough design space, I think, going forward that a human wizard Haste four four for four that gives all your other creatures haste might just be good enough on its own. But I do think that probably given the ability and the fact that the ability is free to activate, there's probably an infinite combo waiting to happen with this. So it's one thing that has been done is there's day one a rod on it. It can't be mana abilities. That's something that has been you can't copy mana abilities with her with her activated ability. You can copy every other card draw effects. You know, one thing I, I, I was thinking of is like a mind slaver deck. Uh, you can sure. try and figure out there's like uh, a goblin engineer is a card that works really well with her because you can for three mana pay it tutor for something into play sacrifice and then immediately activate it to sacrifice a thing and put a thing from your graveyard into play. It has to be under three mana, right? But you can play in that world. Stoneforge Mystic is another really cool card with her because for four mana, you can play Stoneforge Mystic like you can play her. And then if you draw Stoneforge Mystic on your next turn, you can play Stoneforge Mystic, immediately get a Batter Skull or a Cauldra complete, and then put it into play that turn because the Stoneforge Mystic has haste, 
right? I, I think honestly, the second ability is super gimmicky and maybe there's a few cool cute cards that go with it that might be cool. And if you're playing maybe that artifact reanimator deck, that's a thing. But the more cool ability to me is the first one, which is giving things haste. One thing that is a cool one, uh, Urza, you get to copy the Urza ability on Urza. True. Yeah, that's great. So if you want to play like this as a Jeskai Urza kind of situation, and then Emery is also really good with Dinahair because you can, for one mana, play Emery and then mill some cards and then tap Emery to cast one of the cards you got for free, you know, at instant speed that turn. Like, I think like a cool Jeskai artifact re like play stuff from your graveyard haste activated ability deck seems like the coolest thing to do with Dyna here and that that that's probably where i would start and i mean and to be honest probably the first commander deck i build from the Baldur's gate legends is Dyna hair and it's going to be that deck <laughs> she's also got like a pretty sick like scarlet witch holding a plant type of deal going on in her in her head oh, yeah. as a character she's dope for sure <laughs> Super dope, i feel like right um they're yeah. eventually going to print this card and it's going to go infinite here and it's going to be a blue card that has a tap pay I don't know, six or seven or something and it's going to be like blue blue four tap take an extra turn after this one skip your untap step they'll eventually print that creature because it's a stupid creature that's like really expensive and hard to use and then dinahair will just double that ability and you mm-hmm. will oh but i guess you would have to skip your untap step both times now that i think about it I it depends if it's more. a part of the cost or part of the effect yeah i was thinking if you could skip yeah, like it, if it's get an extra turn, turn yeah it would go infinite. That's like that's like the effect that I was thinking they'll probably eventually print that'll break this card. But yeah, it's a fun card though. Yeah, I don't I don't even like that's kind of my point is like I think the second ability is a trap. I think there's some cool stuff. And if your deck is like in that artifact deck I described, you should play Urza and Urza get you get to double that that effect from Urza, right? Yeah. And and so that's something that's cool. Um but the thing that I would be looking to do with her almost always is just giving Emery, the Emery's, the Stoneforge Mystic, these cards that are already good, just haste. And 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 living the dream there. And then getting a 4-4 beating haste 4-4 in the in the in the in the meantime. Next card is Ithalid Harvester. Four blue for a creature horror. Plant tadpoles. Sort well, uh, sorry. Ithalid Harvester is a four blue creature horror four four with adventure. Its adventure card is plant tadpoles X blue blue tap X target creatures. They don't untap during their controllers next untap step. This then goes on an adventure and you can play it from the adventure zone. And when it uh, as a creature, it has when Ithalid Harvester enters the battlefield, turn any number of target tapped non-token creatures face down. They're two two horror creatures. This is going to be one of, I think, three adventure cards we talk about, which I, we're going to do the next. Those is the next three cards we talk about. Uh, one thing that's really interesting thing about adventures that we've uh, seen in modern is all of the cascade decks love adventure cards. The ability yeah. to that the fact that this is a five drop or a seven drop or whatever, so you don't cascade into it, but you get the smaller converted mana cost side of this card is something that is pretty pretty powerful. Um, now, is Ithilus Harvester itself better than the cards it's already playing? We'll discuss that next, but. I do think just inve- adventure has that feature to it, which is always something to keep an eye on for me, as far as the individual ability goes, what's interesting is that plant tadpoles is a stabilizing effect. Me tapping my opponents down so they can't attack me. And then on my next turn, getting to play a four, four for five that removes like basically, uh, uh, uh what's the, what's the, um, yeah, man, manif- it like manifests them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the swine. It's the it's better than that, right? Because they can't Curse. flip them back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 Curse of the Swine, 
but you get to do it without axe. It's just a five drop that curses the swines, any number of tapped creatures, and now they're two, two horrors that have no abilities, right? So if they have a Thalia or a Ragavan, you know, whatever creature they have, it's still a two, two you have to deal with, but they no longer are a primeval Titan. They no longer have abilities, which is often very nice. <laughs> yeah, I would say that is, okay. From a commander perspective, I think this card's great. I think it's really cool. I think it handles, I just think it handles a lot of what you want to be doing. And it's because it's not tap X target creatures controlled by one opponent. It's X target creatures, which means like in a game of commander, this could, this could target the best one creature of each of two opponents, and the best two of another. Like you could, and then the next turn you get down a four, four and you just nerf all those creatures in a game of modern. When you think about the creatures that you would specifically want to be dealing with more than likely, it's going to be blue, blue one or blue, blue two. It's going to be pretty low level. And because you're going to want to curve out, that's the only way to do it. It's going to be blue, blue two, right? If you don't curve out the next turn, then you've lost the effect. Mm, um, that's fair. So you have to kind of play this as blue, blue two. If that's a primeval Titan deck, which means in a blue deck, you are going to be playing this on the fourth turn of the game. They're already in the end game at that point. And if they've already got a primeval Titan down on the board, they've already had a huge turn. If they haven't won already, maybe you're going to get one turn to untap. This kind of allows you to like stall out the prime time and then get this. But like, I'm trying to think about the type of creatures in a game of modern where there would be one to two targets on turn four that you would like really want to be able to do this against. And it to me feels a little bit, I can't imagine if this was legal in modern, this would see much more play than a much lower power localized version of dealing with that stuff. It feels just That's like fair. a lot of frills, a lot of bells and whistles to deal with threats that is this going to hit a Merc tide and not just get countered like, you know, kind of a thing. Well, I mean, I mean, on the other side, though, to your point, like being able to do this to a Merktide or do this even even for like on three, right, which is its worst case. So blue, yeah. blue one freezing a Ragavan or freezing a Merktide for a turn that then lets you untap or like like makes it so you don't die to their Merktide and then lets you untap it with four mana to be able to play a better removal spell or be able to play a threat and a removal spell yeah. isn't the worst uh, I don't disagree with you. I think this is really borderline. I think it does cool things, though. And I do think the manifesting stuff is a removal spell effect that doesn't really exist in modern. That is very powerful. It is It is notable that, like, if I do this on turn three, your Merc type, then on turn four, I'm not able to cast the five drop version yet. And you untap with it. You might attack, but you know that if you attack when I hit five lands, I'm going to get rid of your creature. So Correct. there is a little bit of a game of chicken aspect of playing this on turn three. So that, that does exist. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do think there are also like decks that would play this as a one of, which I think like, you know, in a control deck, for instance, if you're blue white control playing this as a one of where it allows you to like late game, you can use this to stall out and then wipe the board. You can use this a little bit earlier if you need to, to lock down one creature. You can just play it on turn five without the adventure half just to put a four, four threat and to tap down creatures that they attacked with that you don't want to deal with anymore like i think there is a lot of versatility to this card that comes with every adventure like you don't always have to play the first half and you don't always have to play the second half so True. so it, it does it does offer that the next adventure card is emerald dragon four green green creature dragon flying trample four four its adventure card is dissonant wave two green 
instant adventure counter target activated or triggered ability from a non-creature source so for three mana you can stone rain your opponent when they fetch a land or a library of other things that aren't creature related uh in modern so you get a nice little counter spell in green uh and then you get a four four flying trample six six which i think is like below rate for the format but is a decent thing to have in the long term when your starting mode is the first ability which i think is on the borderline playable of modern and does adding a draw of a dragon and also giving it to your uh, ability to like basically stop cascade. Like if your opponent cascades, you can counter it with this ability. <laughs> I believe that uh, this card was previewed by our friend Joe over at tabletop jocks. I think <laughs> um, I saw this and I was like, Oh, that's a really interesting card. Obviously, Stifle effects, squelch effects, you know, things of that nature, void slime. They've been notable and tried. I've certainly tried a lot of them um, over the years. I can't remember what the name of that blue card I used to like so much that I would try. Pl- oh, no, Trickvine. That's the, that's the name of the card I used yeah. to like so much that I would try playing in various decks that would do the same thing. You know, and this obviously has that thing, right? Um, activated or yeah, triggered. I think, I think the, the two benefits to it, one, because it's an adventure, all the Cascade decks in Modern could play this, and and it would be a card they could consider just because it does great things in the mirror. It also is playable in other places. And then, you know, if Trickbind drew you a six mana, four, four Trample or Flyer, is it more playable now? And I think yeah, kind I, of. I don't think it's quite there, but I think it's close. And I think this effect is like cool and could easily just be in Modern, right? I, I think that's part of it too, is like nothing on this card says not Modern Legal. For the sake of modern, for like the the types of, you know, if, if I go back to that old, you know, uh, Titan Delver deck that I was trying to build that had the trick binds in it that was like trying mm-hmm. to do that thing. Those decks rely on being able to stifle your opponent's mana producing abilities early in the game and, and like stop them and then take advantage of it by having a threat. This being a 4-4 Trample Flyer for 6, unfortunately, is a little bit, if it was a 4-4, or sorry, if it was a 2-2 Flying Trample for 4. Like if, if it was a two, two flyer for four and the same ability for three, I think this could be realistic as just the back end of a, of, a, of like a good ability. It like wouldn't be as much of a, of a finisher, but I think getting to six for this in a deck that wants to take advantage of this seems like this is more utility than it is actually uh, intentional. I, I do think, I do think that is worse in mo- I think, a, I think a two, two flying trample for four is worse than a four, four flying trample for six in modern, which is kind of insane. But like, I think there are more ways to get to six mana, especially because this doesn't, this has an alternative mode, right? Like if, if I'm drawing that card and the only thing I can do for it is cast a four, four or cast a six drop fine. But the fact on the back end, a four, four flying trample dodges lightning bolt can get in, you know, has two different evasion abilities so like is going to get damage in blocks a lot of threats in the format i think like this body attached to a spell that you cast first so it's not a dead card in your hand is more valuable than a 4-4 flying trampler 2-2 now flying trampler 2-4-4-4 different conversation <laughs> what i like about i think what i like about emerald dragon more than most for the deck I'm talking about, this doesn't work because it's too expensive. But for the deck that wants to have a sideboard option that handles like a very important part of your opponent's deck, like if there's like a really big triggered ability that's going to win you the game or a huge activated ability, and I bring this in out of my sideboard, it makes me so much happier to draw a sideboard card than it would 
in a lot of situations where it's like, oh no, I drew multiple copies of this do nothing enchantment that stops your A plan, but I have no way to kill you because I sacrificed one or two cards in this opening hand. Whereas it's like, okay, now I have this Emerald Dragon in hand. I'm going to wait for you to do your thing. I'm going to spend three on it. And then if you don't recover, I'm going to play a five turn finisher. And that's the, it's the same card. I already handled your thing, but it also gave me a threat. That's the value here for me. And and remember, like like the other adventure cards, the abilities that were attached to the adventure half are below rate. Now, the creatures were above rate, right? Like the giant in, is a four, three for three. And the fairy is a three mana, three one, which is better than a six mana, four, four trampler flyer. But it's a four, four trampler flyer in green, which is another color that doesn't classically get flyers in general. I don't know. Like, I think I think three mana trick bind that draws you a threat that late game you're going to win with. There are definitely decks that would maybe want this. And I mean, this void, stops time, specific- void time is blue, blue one. You get to counter a spell but you don't get a four, four flying trample, right? Like, and this is mono green. You don't need, you you do not need double blue for this. So like speaking to the three CMC cost of the ability, notable. Yeah. Like, like, like void slam is borderline playable. And this is, and, and this card does things in a way that's interesting. The other feature, because it's a creature, you get to pod for it. You get to, you know, you get to all the creature tutors. You could to get it into, into play if you want to. There's other features to that that are important, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. Next card, and this is the last adventure card. Two-handed axe, three, two in a red, artifact equipment. Uh, whenever equipped creature attacks, double its power until end of turn, equip one in red. Or sweeping cleave, one in a red, instant adventure. Uh, target creature you control gains double strike until end of turn. You may now put it on an adventure and cast it. Uh, I, I think this is maybe the best of the three. The fact that like the first half is a somewhat playable modern card already that is tutorable by Stoneforge Mystic. Seems cool. The first half of this is the old uh, Teamer Battle Rage. The difference there obviously being that Teamer had Ferocious Trample, and that matters. Yeah. But uh, two, two CMC instant speed double strike. I have played many versions of that card. Double Cleave is mm-hmm. that card. I've played Double Cleave in many a deck. Um, so it's doing the same thing, but obviously then you have a repeatable version of this thing, which is very strong. Um, I think this card's really good. This is this is one of my favorite cards in the set. I, I like feel like the costs are low enough overall that you're kind of in business where you get the surprise effect of the double strike. And then now you're left with, I have this kind of inevitability engine because by the way, part one of the inevitability is that it's a spell, but part two is that it's an equipment. Like if part two was an aura, it would still be really great. If three CMC was just a, you know, enchanted creature gets double strike and then it's like, that's good enough. But equipment is this undying inevitability engine. So now like you have a real, even if you kill my creature, I still have this thing. If you have a deck advantage of double strike, I think this is quite good. The second best deck in the format is an equipment deck. This works with Stoneforge Mystic. This works with Sigarda's Aid. This works with all of the stuff that Hammer Time is doing. It's red, so you have to add red versus blue. But also like this allows that deck to just kill you like if you if you like turn zero turn one ornithopter turn two hammer sigarda's aid turn three two-handed axe them yep you now swing with a 2020 or you know you did 20 damage to them 
And this is Tudor. Like I, that, that's the thing that's exciting to me, right? It, obviously not modern legal. So none of this is possible right now, but I think this, this, this card is like such an easy slide in the decks that are already good. And then would maybe even create its own archetypes off of the fact that you can bring the team or battle rage decks back. Cause now instead of team or battle rage, just being a spell that you try and win with it, then draws you a redundant piece. If they're able to answer it the first time, the creature you played or whatever, so that the next creature you play, you don't have to buy another team or battle rage. You just equip it with the, the, the axe that you have and make it uh, a, a 2020 death shadow or whatever, um, which I think is really cool as well. Like, I think like a Mardu death shadow deck that's playing Stoneforge Mystic to an X and death shadow is another really cool archetype that doesn't currently exist right now that this would create out of nowhere. I do kind of wish that, and, and I know, obviously, I always, I, I'm like famous for doing this on this show, which is like, I always ask for things to be better, but I do wish that the adventure, equip, and casting costs were all two. I just wish that it was two, two, two. Uh, I, I know it would make the adventure side maybe too good. Well, but like, I have a convenient thing for you. There's this card. I mentioned it before, maybe five seconds ago, Stoneforge Mystic. And uh, <laughs> on Stoneforge Mystic, in the little text box on the bottom, it says tap for two mana, make the equipment you have cost two <laughs> or cost zero. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Yeah, I, fair. I, I think I, I, think I would these cards are in the same colors as Dynahair. So you could do that with haste. <laughs> Dynahair. Yeah, I, I, I feel like this card's probably number two behind Archivist my favorite cards on this list that feels like they feel like they're the two for me. I think it's my third favorite and the last card we'll talk about will be my number two, but uh number uh, this is the second to last card we'll be talking about today. Uh, Jahira's respite for green instant search your library for up to X basic land cards where X is the number of creatures attacking you put those cards onto the battlefield tapped then shuffle prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn. Um, so in previous times, um, what's the white card that does this? Not this, but something. Oh, 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 settle uh, the wreckage. Uh, yeah. So in 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 the, settle the wreckage is a card that has seen decent amount of modern play. Obviously, it was a dominant force in standard. Um, that gave the lands to your opponent, but exiled them. This fogs for the turn, but you get the lands. Um, to me, though, the thing that is most exciting is putting this in a primeval titan deck where you are already kind of playing this game. You're playing the ramp and fog game. You're playing the, like, I just don't want my opponent to kill me until I win with Valkut. And this card lets you do that very quickly. It costs five, but that's a deck that five drops are not an incomprehensible thing to cast since its main game plan is casting six drops. Um, and I just think this card is really cool and creates cool strategies on its own and is probably fine in modern. Yeah, it's also up to X. So like even if you're in a situation where you have an exact count of number of uh you know number of mountains left in your deck for Valakut or something like that, you can time the exact number of lands that you want to be putting into play given you can scale it. You have the choice, mm -hmm. right? You're not you're not stuck. I think that's pretty important given the limited number of land slots in some of the longer games there. Um, but yeah, it's also the fact that in a deck like you're talking about five for Val for a Valka deck is nothing like whether it's Dryad or, you know, it's Barrel Grazer or like point is via all those means five CMC is like a very early turn game. So, mm -hmm. um, I do think that this now granted, like you, they have to have multiple creatures. So if it's that early, how many creatures are they really going to have depending on the deck? It's like probably well, it's probably five CMC in most cases to like fog and get two lands. But that, I'm good with that. I'm good to instant speed fog and get two lands for five. I, 
Yeah, I think I think one thing with fog is I think fog is a relatively underutilized spell type that partially because I think it might be tested to be maybe a little toxic, but I think fog in general, if it's fog plus something is very powerful. It's one of the reasons like life gain plus something is always powerful, but life gain by itself isn't. So like Sphinx's revelation is a great example, of course, where it's like because I gained that life, I stabilize regardless of what your attack is. And now I've drawn cards. This one is I get to stabilize because you attacked me with creatures and I don't take damage and I get to put a bunch of land in play. So on my next turn, I can ta- play an eight drop. I can play a primeval Titan. I can play an Eldrazi. Like even in like try, well, you have to play more lands in that deck. So I don't think it works quite as well there, but I, I do think this card has a lot of utility. That would be really cool to see play in modern. Have you ever heard of a card called spore frog? I have not. Uh, what, uh, Sport Fog? I, I that, feel like you are, I, if I had to describe you, you are Mr. Fog. You are Mr. Fog. That is like, I, I've learned more about Fog from you than anyone I've ever played Magic against. I've like, I've, I consider it as a viable strategy and I used to think it was a joke. So thank you for that. Love me, love me some sport. Love a frog. Love a little fungus boy. Uh, love a fog, really, in general. I think one of my favorite standard decks of all time I've ever played is uh entered the omniborg which was a four fog four snapcaster mage four uh sphinx's revelation uh enter the infinite infinite omniscience borborigmos uh, enraged deck and i would love to play that again in modern and honestly this card fits into that strategy pretty well so i'd be hyped for that oh, now last, really good this art. is oh yeah it's got really cool art the last card today and and then and then and then we'll be signing off and saying thank you to all of our sponsors like Channel Fireball, Alter Sleeves, our patrons, Kess, which we have anime puzzles now. There's artwork right here I'm holding in my hand uh, that you can buy right now at uh, Five Below or Walmart Canada or our wizardryfoundry.com or our website, uh, kess.co slash uh, shop. Um, the last card we're going to be talking about is Displacer Kitten. Three and a blue for a creature cat beast, two, two avoidance which is you know one of the the pseudo abilities whenever you cast a non-creature spell exile up to one target non-land permanent you control then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control um some notable things include itself so it can it can protect itself with all those spells you're casting but then also just like if you have an eternal witness in play you just make just get to keep casting that spell again and again and again whatever it is if that spell makes mana I believe you just go infinite. <laughs> like, I think, I think going infinite, this card is like, honestly, just very, very easy. And there's like 18 different ways that I'm assuming someone has made a flow chart on the internet. And if our editors can find one have put in front of you right now, if they didn't find one, it's just dope. Uh, you can do a lot. This card is very powerful. It'd be really cool to see in modern. It's a four drop two, two. So I think it's like pretty safe to have in modern. Yeah, I would say so. But I think it just like would allow for some really, really cool strategies and it being four mana makes it super safe. And I think I would love to see that. I lo- like this card, I think is I think this is arguably the best card in the set, uh, especially in the mainland set, uh, the mainline set. So I, I would be very excited to see this in modern as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the whole conversation tonight is interesting because it's like having a real conversation about the modern legality of cards that aren't legal in modern. But I do think there are a certain number of these cards that we will see in future sets for sure. It feels I think it's because the power level of these cards feels close enough to printable that I think I just can't imagine not seeing some of these. Like they're not going to print just another round of cards, right? Like these all, so many of these feel like they could be 
I do think your point that this includes itself is the most significant. If this did not include itself, it would be a drastically different card. Um, It'd just be so fragile. But now any instant means that they can't stop you. My neighbor's cat is named Violet, and it's like really awesome, but like hates me kind of. At one in five instances, it'll like hang out with me and like, you know, whatever. The green eyes here reminds me of the demon cat version that I get most days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty cool looking. I like the art <laughs> a lot. I like the I like demon that's cat. a kitten. Uh, cat is a relevant creature type in modern. Um, this deck, if it's just this card as a creature spell and a bunch of instants and sorceries could just play uh, Kahira in the, companion <laughs> in the companion zone. Uh, but I yeah, I think, I think there's just be- like kitten beast i feel like it should be kitten beast is the cat is the creature type here that we're missing that's 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 like the missed opportunity ben ben you realize that kittens are cats right that they're just baby cats i do i do yes yes. (laughs) (laughs) do you know how cats work (laughs) um this is why your cat neighbor doesn't like you it's 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 like he doesn't understand (laughs) we were friends for a while but we'll, we'll get there we'll get there yep uh, then it heard that you thought cats and kittens were different species. And it was like, oh, I can't, I can't associate with, uh, you know, I think, I think like there's just also like, there's a lot of value you can get off of this. You can play with just like permanents that draw cards or whatever that like do really cool stuff. I, I think like there's easy ways to break this card and there's cool ways to gain value off of this card. And I think it being able to do both of those things in modern would be sweet. And I would love to see it. Yeah, I think so too. I think, uh, I like this card. I think your point is very sound. Um, CMC creatures that create, Sorry, uh, CMC creatures of of four or less that create mana when they enter the battlefield combined with eternal witness effects. There's lots and lots and lots of ways I feel like to go infinite. And uh, as you mentioned, I think the flow chart is probably pretty accurate. But yeah, good, good, solid design. Not overpowered either. If this was legal and modern at exactly this rate, I think even if it goes infinite right now, it's hard to do. I don't think it's easy. It's too expensive. Like, like, Like you put it like in storm. Like right now, as Storm is built, there's nothing really you would blink with it. So it's not it had to be built around itself and then the deck needs it. But the cool thing is you can get into it really quickly, right? You're wanting to play ritual effects with this card. And so you'd theoretically be able to play it as early as turn two and turn three and protect it. And on turn three, you being able to protect it with like your ops then allows you to untap and play Eternal Witness and go infinite. Like, I think that's the deck that builds itself to me. And that's an insane deck that I just described. I think that's like a viable deck that has like a lot of cool interaction and playability to it, but would be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like the Displacer Kitten, the Kitten Beast. All right. Um, so as I mentioned, thank you to all our sponsors. Thank you. Uh, there's links below for all of them. Please follow us. I'm, I'm on TikTok. Ben is on TikTok. Ben is Ben Baton Media there. I'm Kess Wiley. We're also on Twitter. You'll also start seeing a lot more content being released across all platforms from Instagram to our YouTube channel and our shorts content library, as well as our TikToks, uh, as well as we're continuing to do our command stream every single Monday. Uh, you can see new thumbnails. They're bright and colorful, specifically colorful. Uh, or well, I guess they're monocolor, but it's a bright color. Um, and uh, we're doing that every week as well. So thank you so much, uh, especially Channel Fireball, uh, as well as Ultra Pro for sponsoring this podcast. And we will talk to all of you 
uh, next week. Make sure you hit All that right. like and subscribe and, button. And, if you're, and next week, if you're in Columbus, I'm going to be there at Origins, just this awesome, awesome, awesome uh, trade show for gaming. I'll be there for Kess talking about all of our cool stuff. And I will be there. And that weekend on Friday, I'll be playing a show. Many of you know, I have three songs out on Spotify. I've had a lucky run for the last year, and, and it's been very fun to play music. And I'll be playing a solo live show in a private venue. So if you would like to check it out, go to benbatementour.com. And if you're in Columbus already or nearby, love gaming stuff hit me up because i'll be there and it's gonna be really really fun michael will be there with me and you guys know him from the show and i'm very proud of the songs i'm putting out i'm very proud of the stuff that we're doing cast and uh, both will be represented in columbus so thanks for listening to the show see you guys soon awesome thanks everyone bye this has been a production of time traveler media sending podcasts into the future